This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. What's up, guys? This is Mark, and unlike last week, this week I have good news for you. Our friend and my collaborator, Stephen Manuel, was able to dial up an old buddy of ours named Mark Douglas, and they had a conversation about a movie that recently came out that you may not have heard of unless you saw it on our blog called A Hidden Life. And if you have no familiarity with A Hidden Life, stop what you're doing right now, Go to the show notes and click the link to watch the trailer. I'm going to put a link to the trailer for this movie, and having some sense of what the heck these two guys are talking about will make this conversation go from moderately interesting to fascinating. So I think there's a really good uh, thread through Stephen and Mark's conversation about what it looks like to be an oppositional type of guy, willing to stand alone, even when uh, the easy thing to do would be to not do that. So go watch the trailer and then listen to Stephen and Mark have a conversation about the movie A Hidden Life. Now, before I let you go, next week, I just want to throw a little teaser out there. One of the most popular episodes we've ever created was an episode of Stephen's dad, Roger Manuel, telling us some stories from back in the day. So next week, we will have more Roger Manuel here on the podcast. Get excited. Tell your friends. You can gather around the hearth and listen to it right as it comes out at 5.30 in the morning on a Wednesday. But for now, without further ado, I give you Stephen Manuel and Mark Douglas. sitting here with my friend Mark Douglas who's in Texas right now and just to give you a little bit of a idea of his world um, Mark tell us um, what you do for a living tell us about your family and tell us how big your church is okay Um, hello everyone Um, I am married to uh, Bethany who I've been married to for almost 20 years we have four children the oldest being 16 down to 10, two boys and two girls. Um, We are uh, sort of in between Houston, Austin in uh, Aggieland, Texas A&M area. Uh, My brother and I run a creative agency and we, um, we run a house church and we have been for the last 15 years. And uh, we basically operate a whole lot of stuff off of a very small few square feet of land. We home school, we home church, we home business, we home home and home eat. And uh, I have to leave my premises if I'm going to go get a moment's uh, quiet uh, or sanity. Um, So it's busy. It's very rowdy over here. You know, you've seen it. I have. How many people in your church? Uh, you know, if you had all the kids show up and everybody showed up on at one time, which, you know, never happens, there might be 65, 70 people. What's a normal gathering of adults? Normally, it's about 20 to 25. Yeah. Okay. So I, I 
I like that number being small because um, you and I, although our hearts are in the same place, we reside on two ends of the spectrum when it comes to church life. Um, I'm involved in a the, the, what has been the fastest growing church in America, a gigantic mega church, and you have 20 to 25 people in your home gathering. Yeah, I mean, I, I just got to tell you, it's been explosive growth, though, man. Like, I don't know why you're all kind of bagging on my 25. Uh, I'm not bagging. Yeah. I was just about to compliment and say, we're, we're not here to talk about church sizes, but it strikes me just an introduction to you that um, one of these models um, will be resilient through anything that happens globally, politically, socially, and it's not the mega church that has 20,000 people at it on the weekend. Hmm. Um, one of those w can stand, can withstand anything because it's based on a family. Hmm. Um, so that's a good uh, segue into what we're going to do with our very short amount of time we have today. We're going to, we're going to hear a lot more from you in the future, but for today we, we thought we'd start in, on, on a shared passion that you and I have, which is uh, film. Um, oh yeah. You, you, you have written a novel. I have written some screenplays. We, we like this, uh, this world of film. And I, I still believe I was just listening to a podcast um, of the Anaheim Vineyard, um, which is one of my favorite podcasts right now. Um, and he was just saying, you know, we believe that God is in every aspect of art and he's very interested in every, every expression of the heart of man. And mm. cinema um, or, or video, I should say, is, you know, the most comprehensive uh, kind of video that really draws us in. We, can, we do this empathetic thing when we're watching a film that does not happen when we're reading a book doesn't happen when we're listening to a podcast. Um, we, we, we feel that we're inside the story. So anyways, you and okay. I think there's something legitimate there. Um, so something crossed your radar this year that you went bonkers on and insisted. I, I told my wife, I mean, I, I had to take a huge chunk out of my day to follow your orders, but I said, I'm under orders from- That's right that I have to do something. So tell us about what happened to you. Mandon, I was so pushy and aggressive in making sure that you got into that theater to watch that film. Uh, we are talking about uh, Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life, um, which is already out of the small release theaters that it, that it debuted in. There's no, I don't think you can see it anywhere right now, but at the time you release this recording, perhaps you would be able to find it streaming. Um, I am, I, I kind of recoil at the thought of being a fanboy of anything, but if, sure. if I, if, uh, you know, like a good ex, I, I need to like dismiss and kind of furrow my brow and say, yeah, yeah, we've seen this book. But Terrence Malick is one of those directors who does invite you. I think that was the thing that struck me about the film is that um, it, it's as though he painted a watercolor on a three-story building. 
And if you see it, if you view it from six feet away, you get some rough idea about, oh, this is kind of pretty or whatever. But if you're able to zoom back out and see, it is really stunning. You know, the film said it's a film that you enter. You don't watch this. Um, you enter this movie. And I don't know where you were able to see it. I do know because we have mutual friends that your reaction at the end of this film was, hmm, weird, which was not my response. Uh, I, I was, I was, uh, I was high fiving people at the end of this movie. Um, but you, now you the, and I were. Mel, just to yeah. set up this movie, uh, Malik is a sometimes inscrutable director. True. Uh, I, for me, the his coming out party for me was uh, Tree of Life, mm-hmm. which I loved. I really loved it, and and I, I'm really a fan of slow. Uh, movies that unfold really slowly. I really like sitting in the space. Um, but we're talking about a nearly four hour um, film. Masterpiece? You, you were going to say masterpiece? Uh, I was just going to say film. Four hour <laughs> film. Um, there are, I don't know, less than 10 actors in, in the film, something like that. It's a really small True. movie. Um, all unknowns speaking a language I don't understand. And I don't, I didn't totally follow even the story because you have to really understand uh, the geopolitical context of the story, which happens in the forties, thirties, forties. Yeah. World war two. Yeah. Um, so uh, th- those being the constraints um, and it not being as user friendly as we're used to, what about it gripped you so? Oh, oh, that's an excellent question. Um, the thing that I appreciated is that uh, Malik, I think, demonstrated serious restraint in that um, the viewer is only allowed to see or uh, exposed to what a when they're in the field working, you're seeing them work. When they're in the church, you're seeing them in the church. It's like he was able to sing and you were having to construct. What is it that I'm actually watching right now? Yeah. And, and he gave, what is it, you know, he gave his protagonist so few lines. And I think that that was strategic and purposeful because, you know, this film is called A Hidden Life. And what you're trying to do is figure out what is hidden in this man's heart that would actually cause him to, um, to rebel against the power structures of his day, to be able to, to say, I will not swear an allegiance oath to Hitler, and I will die a martyr's death in, in opposition to these tyrannical forces, these satanic forces in the earth. And you, you are having to sort of discern that through the picture. It does not make it easy. Why is that uh, an important message today? And, and, Malik, and Malik is a believer, by the way, if, if anybody doesn't know that. He, That's he's true. definitely bringing us a Christian worldview and a Christian message. Um, you you and, and actually I read a review, Rod Dreher, who's our, our friend who wrote uh, The Benedict Option, he, he said about this movie, it's the clearest presentation of the gospel of any movie ever made. He said it would include last the, the last temptation of christ i would include any gospel film 
the the Matthew film that's just the Bible on screen, which is a pretty strong statement. So let me re repeat the question. Why do you think the message of the movie is important right now? Um, you use the word inscrutable. I think that there are a lot of people who can watch this film and they're never actually going to connect all of the dots um, as to why he would have uh, been the conscientious objector that he was. Um, I think that it's important now uh, because this is the man who I believe, uh, because he was a devout Catholic, I believe that he had a clear allegiance in his heart to the king. And I think uh, that when it came time to put his hand in the air and swear an allegiance oath, that that was actually the thing that he could not do. That, that this was a man who already had a king, who already had said, everything I have is all in on my devotion to Christ, and I'm willing to pay any, any price to be faithful to that. Um, why is that important today? Oh, I don't know, because that's critical to every generation of believers, uh, especially when uh, you, you get a sense that he was the only guy in his village who did this. I yeah. kept thinking through the whole film, I don't know if you did, I kept thinking, where are the other men in his, in his town? When they came in to arrest him, there should have been 17 other men who had locked arms with him and said, if you take him, you take all of us. Yeah. And good luck, good luck harvesting this crop that comes in this season. Um, he was isolated, he was a man alone, uh, and he paid an incredible price. And I think that that's relevant to every generation. So you, you not only saw him as a hero, you thought there's warnings in what made him vulnerable. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I thought that too. Um, you know, there's something, there's something very American in that he stood alone. And so he seems like this brave cowboy, but yes, I kept thinking, I, I've worked really hard to not have his life. I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be alone when the chips fall. I don't think we're supposed to be. That's right. Um, yeah, the Gary. Uh, you know, it's like we we romanticize a Gary Cooper kind of Christianity here in the West. And I just kept thinking, this is such a small, intimate community. When they rejected his family and wouldn't let them reap in the grain fields on the community. Yeah, that was uh, harsh community grounds. I just thought, is not anybody going to stand up and just take a swing at that dude and say, no, they get, they're part of this community. Um, so, I mean, and that just speaks to the tyranny of that moment of the fear of that moment of what uh, Nazism was. But I, I just thought, may it never be that any one of my brothers goes to the brink and I cower back like ab absolutely not. Now, you haven't heard from me on this movie, so I, I would like to dial back a little bit from what you may have heard from our mutual friend who, who left shrugging his shoulders. Um, I, 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 was, uh, I was more enthusiastic about it than he was, and we actually, it was, it was a, the rare movie that when we left, we went and sat on the bench right in front of the theater and just sat and talked about film um, for a while. So that was really fun um, to talk through it. And I, I, 
Can, can I can I interrupt you for a second and just yeah. tell you about emotionally what this film did to me? Please, please. That's I was I was wrecked. I was wrecked. I have never seen a film that there were points, Stephen, where in the middle of this theater, I think I thought to myself, I'm losing control of my body. I'm, I'm about <laughs> to stand up. I'm about to stand up in this theater and just yell um, because these these uh, these like um, neutron bomb moments in the film, the one where he is sitting opposite and I'm giving spoilers away. I, That's okay. I People aren't going to watch it. I, I shouldn't do that. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, that uh, they are sitting opposite, he, he and his wife are opposite the table. And this is his last moment where his attorney is saying, just sign the dang paper and the yeah, whole thing goes away. it doesn't matter whether you believe this, it. This is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Sign the paper and 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 you can just work off the remainder of the war and your your life will be spared and think about your family and everything. And there's this moment, and I've got to see this film again for this one moment. His wife looks across the table from him and says, I don't always understand this, um, but whatever you do, I'm with you. And I thought this is the bride's response to the king. That was a really, really, really cool moment because yeah. she had been nagging him and opposing him and telling her, look, this is what it's like for us when you're away and this is, what, this is our mistreatment and you're not thinking rationally and why would you make this stand just based on your dogmatic uh, need to prove something and come on, just be, be reasonable, be practical. And then in that final moment, she, it, it was really cool. The look she gave him across the table was just like, hey, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, and it, it took it him was, to the grave. It was, it was the bride's response for sure. And I think that was the moment where I just wanted to stand up and yell, yes, he wins. He wins. In that moment, he won. Um, I, uh, uh, speaking about being just wrung out, I there's that part toward the end where it's like Malik has that camera. And I thought, damn it, Malik, don't you take me into that room. Yeah. Don't you take me into that execution room behind that veil. And, and, you know, I, I left that film just uh, feeling like a, a rag that has been squeezed and just laid up on a fence post. I, I had nothing left in me emotionally. Um, yeah, it was hard. I I thought the comment that he should be, he should have friends around him that would walk down this road with him or just defend him on, on the grounds of necessity and just community, even if we don't agree just on the grounds of, no, he's one of us, you know, um, is an interesting observation or, or did any other things come out for you that you thought, man, the, the fathers around my life need to hear this? Yes. I, you know, I tried, I tried like crazy, Stephen. I really I did, to, did. Just, to just get everybody I could pushed into a theater somewhere to see this. And, <laughs> you know, and I understand that it was somewhat enigmatic and, and difficult to put together. But um, yeah, when it comes out on DVD, I'm actually kicking around the idea. We have a local movie house here in my town and I'm getting people in to see it as I can. So just repeat the question, what else from the movie would you want fathers to, to take away from it? 
looking at this solitary character who takes a stand amidst well, everything that is ungodly. Yeah. Um, you know, he demonstrated in a very quiet, uh, understated way what enduring faithfulness looks like in the earth. And I think that we don't have many examples of it in film. And I uh, lost attribute or virtue to, to be able to, I mean, Eugene Peterson talked about faithfulness being a long obedience in the same direction. I love that articulation of what faithfulness is, that long obedience in the same direction. And I like that this guy just said, I don't care where people are drawing lines. Um, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not willing to go beyond here. And I think that that's actually to be able to have a righteous testimony in the earth that we speak of down the line to our children and to others in our faith community, um, I think that's huge. I mean, that that is legacy. That is tradition. I don't care what you leave in your investment portfolio. These, these, these children who grew up without a father had, had, a, had a testimony of outrageous obedience. And it's my understanding that Malik actually took the film to that, that house in Austria and showed, had a private viewing of the film to his daughters. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, man, this guy Malik, he, that's, that, what, a, what a thing to behold, to behold yeah. that in your lineage, that story of faithfulness. I mean, I, I, I would be pleased if my grandchildren ever had any such conception of me. Yeah, touching on that, the same theme. I had a couple of conversations today in which this is a long story, but I have a friend who just took a trip to Brazil and met a man who claims to have visited heaven. Mm -hmm. And Jesus walked him around heaven for a bit. He was there for a couple of hours, which is unthinkable. And um, at the end of the tour, Jesus said, um, I'm going to give you the choice of whether you stay here or go back. And I, I'll leave out the end of the story, except to make this point. He said, the first thing I said was, well, I think my wife needs me, which is, which he said in retrospect was a really dumb thing to say. And, and Jesus caught him up short. And he said, what did you just say? Don't ever say that that she needs you. She has me hmm. and she's all, I'm all she'll ever need. Hmm. And I've put her with you for this season. And if I remove you from her, I'll take her the rest of the way. Wow. And I was like, Oh snap. And I, it made me think of guys like Jim Elliott, even Keith Green dying young, leaving kids behind. And I've always thought for myself, there, there's that kind of, weeny safety muscle that we have that says i gotta stay alive so i can take care of everybody and yet if you give yourself over to the things of the lord is there any better legacy you can leave to your family than the fact that we had a father who gave everything for the king mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> what is that yeah. worth for your legacy anyways um i'm gonna put you on the spot with one last question and i need to go Okay. Um, one thing, one interesting thing that Malik did was that he never showed us the walk up for this guy's life 
where he grew into a man of faith, of strong faith. We jumped right mm -hmm. into the middle, and then we, it's revealed to us over time. Oh, holy cow, this guy's not moving. And curiously, the, even the priests were such ding-dongs around him that you wonder, where did this come from? Mm. This resolve and this uh, long faithfulness in one, in one direction, you wonder where that came from. So I know that, that guys, when they're faced with something like that, which is really, I mean... I know it's a true story, but it sounds like the most idealistic, perfect, perfect version of faithfulness that it can feel daunting. So give us your pastoral recommendation. How do I develop that kind of resolve and that kind of faithfulness and loyalty to the Lord? I think we all secretly worry that if the guy's stormed the doors with guns pointed at us and said, rescind your faith or we shoot. We, we worry about how we would perform in that moment. What, what, what advice do you have for, for a guy for developing that kind of strength of faith? Um, that is uh, a great and terribly difficult question. The, I, I, a few things come to mind though. Um, it was actually your sister probably almost 20 years ago who said that either either your dad or grandfather or someone said you don't get a dying man's grace till the day you die now i i don't understand all that that means but <laughs> but i do think that there is some special grace that is available in, in the clutch right in that moment where you go i don't have anything left i'm in pain i am at at my end that i believe that you know it it goes back to everything about our walk with the king is by his goodness and by his grace. So I suspect even in those moments, there's this out, outpouring and an outrageous reservoir that you didn't have. But I would also say that from what I can understand about Jagerstad, the, the guy who is our protagonist in real life, um, he was not a devout man. He was not raised in faithfulness. He did not walk closely with the Lord as a young man. He came to faith late in life. So what that speaks to me is he had such an encounter with the Lord, right? His encounter had to have been so seismic and so um, jolting for him that he would push all chips forward mm. um, simply out of a, an outrageous love and an outrageous devotion, um, I, that is the only thing, you know, Malik doesn't go into detail and he doesn't pull it out. You're not, you're not privy to all of the, the, the maneuvers of his mind and he doesn't ever preach. There's an, you know, in, in a way he's really Christ-like in that way, which is yep. I'm just simply here in obedience and you, you as a counsel, you can make whatever decision you want. Um, but that resolve I suspect is tethered to, um, just an outrageous intimacy with the king. Well, it's also encouraging to think that even going through that experience produce, can produce the kind of faith that's necessary to endure it. Mm. Yeah. Like just walking through it in the way that you respond. And, you know, we saw him in his, in his Gethsemane moments in the movie and he's, and he's, 
he's working through it in, in his, in his heart. And, and, uh, you know, we have to assume he was crying out for grace in the moment. So that's encouraging to think that I don't know what storms lie ahead for me. And I probably don't presently own the grace to make it through them. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we get to those troubles, you know, if we have faithfully turned to the Lord, he's faithful to provide for us so that we can be that kind of man who can stand in that day. Well, you know, I, I also suspect the last thing I would say is we all want to hit that, that game winning jump shot at the end of the tournament. We all want that, but man, there's so many, just lots of jump shots that happen between here and that moment, right? Where yeah. it's like, I just, I'm, I'm doing that thing that I need to do on this Tuesday afternoon. And, and in my, my obedience today, it actually counts for those reps so that on the day I've got to hit that shot. I'm, I'm right. trusting that I'll have it. That's right. We've got to discipline the kids when they need it. You know, we're, we, we're reading the book of Judges at dinner right now. Some of it's kind of chewy. It's hard to understand. <laughs> my kids have questions. It's like, uh, I, we're just being faithful here, man. We're just going <laughs> to keep pounding this nail. Right. Because uh, we think there's life here. Um, Well, we're going to be hearing more from you, Mark, and you and I are old friends and we'll tell some of those stories when we can talk more in the future so that people can uh, understand our relationship better because it's been very fruitful for both of us. And anyways, uh, here we go. Uh, Are are we co-branding this? Is this going to, is going to appear on your, in your world at some point? Absolutely. Sure. I think that I want, I want everybody to hear what you and I talk about uh, because uh, I always have fun. And so I suspect other people would have fun. Well, then I'll say, I'll say for myself, you can give your sign off, but I'll say for me, for Abraham's wallet, this is Stephen Manuel. Okay, great. And for the viceroyproject.com, this is Mark Douglas. Okay. See you next time. Take care.